Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 3rd of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Cardi would like to know who took it upon themselves to set alight a pub in Ringsend in the early hours of New Year's Eve. The rest of us would like to know why they did it in the first place. And regardless of whatever the reason was that Gardi do identify them and bring them to justice, the Shipwright pub was earmarked for providing emergency accommodation for some of uh, the country's 14,000 people who are currently homeless. Rumours in the neighbourhood, though, led locals to believe that the building would house international protection applicants. The belief generally is that someone didn't want asylum seekers moving into the old pub in Ringsend, so they burnt the pub down to make sure that didn't happen. But why? Why would anyone do such a thing? An act of insanity, perhaps. But realistically and tragically, it probably had more to do with hatred than it did with madness. A hatred fuelled by racism and xenophobia. A hatred that is no longer unusual. This is not the first time a building has been set on fire to prevent immigrants from living in it, and it's probably not going to be the last time. And as this hatred of other human beings becomes more commonplace, it's little surprise to see a headline in today's Irish Times that reads, Ireland waves goodbye to its world-famous welcome. The Archbishop of Dublin, Dermot Farrell, is on the line with us uh, this morning. And a very good morning to you, Archbishop, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, You'd like uh, to understand the... Good, good morning to you, Archbishop. You, you, you'd like to understand better yourself, uh, I think, uh, what's going on in the minds of people who act in this way. Yes, it's always uh, difficult to understand uh, what's going on. And I suppose, you know, our society here in Ireland uh, has undergone pretty rapid change, I suppose. You know, when I think back to my childhood, uh, it was a very homogeneous society. But when any society in, in, in experiences a very rapid change. I think a response for people there is to begin to very often define in a very uh, narrow way who wants to become a member of that society. But unfortunately, when that happens, uh, you get into the whole area of exclusion and dehumanization of uh, groups of people. 
based very often on ethnicity or color uh, or language. Uh, and that's a, a very unfortunate thing that's happening in our society. Mm. It's used to divide society. It's used to de- dehumanize uh, groups of people. And unfortunately, what it does, I suppose, is an effort to kind of, in some sense, what you might say is to reshape the way we think as a country or as a people. And indeed, you know, to reshape how even the government thinks. Uh, It's not everybody. It's a very small group of people, uh, very highly motivated, uh, who are uh, largely doing this. But they're doing it in, in a very successful way. And that's rhetoric that they use, the language that they use, it has become, uh, I suppose, it's able to, in some sense, uh, define and normalize uh, exclusion and dehumanization. And that is a threat for me to everything that we value in this country, everything that I grew up with and my neighbors and, and friends and family, uh, that the, the things that we valued were, you know, hospitality, openness, welcome, all of these things that are, I would say, an imperative of what we are culturally and as a Christian people. Mm, that Cave Mila Falcha that the Irish Times seems absolutely. to be saying uh, has left us uh, because of uh, the way some people are behaving. Uh, do you believe that it is hatred or, or is it, it fear? Or is it's, it fe- it's sometimes fear, but the fear is irrational. You know, it's, it's, the, the, what, what we have here is that there is significant dif- disinformation uh, being put about by this nature, the scale, and the, in, indeed the impact of people who come to this country, either as migrants uh, or as uh, asylum seekers and, and seeking protection. Uh, and, you know, the number has increased significantly. Mm. That's, there's no issue about that. But there... The, the number of asylum applicants are a very small percentage of the total number of immigrants who come to this country. And there is a process for dealing with uh, people who want protection here, and it does lim- place limits on what they're entitled to, the length they're entitled to stay here, etc. But the majority of migrants who are here, they're here lawfully. They come to work. They come to provide uh, vital input to our services, to our businesses. You know, if I go into a hospital to visit people, the vast majority of people who run our healthcare system are people who have come to this country lawfully. Uh, they've come here to obviously seek a better life, but also to contribute to society. Mm. When I go down to the local shops to shop or to the supermarkets, many of these people provide services, they provide you know, uh, yeah. picking up our garbage, etc. You you know this because you, you meet them every day. Yeah. They're involved in the community. Yeah. And it's so, going to become more so the case as time goes on because uh, the indigenous population is ageing and we're going yes. to need younger people to do the work of the yes. country. And they, they work at IT and they work in, you know, building sites. They make an enormous contribution to this country. And, you know, while the, con- while the accommodation for new arrivals, it is a major challenge. There's no doubt about that. But what I think we need to realize, it is only a subset of our indigenous homelessness problem. Uh, and that's where the challenge comes into uh, government, political leaders, to mm. church leaders, to community leaders, uh, to counter what is happening. And particularly, I think, to counter the dis- disinformation which is being used uh, to try and alienate people. Um, 
because when we begin to say, and, and this is part of the language that's used to induce fear, you know, that some migrants who come here, that they're rapists or they're, you know, they're killing our people, that's in very direct contradiction of the facts. Mm. And why are they here? They're of military age, unvetted, and all... All all the usual, you know, that's Mm. what we hear day in and day out. So it becomes a much easier step when you begin to use that language and categorise a group of people or groups of people uh, to start saying, well, we don't want them in our area, they should be all packed up and sent off home. And what we're doing there is we're creating a barrier or a wall to divide, to divide us and to divide society. Even the way you phrase that, Archbishop, we want, don't want them here. That's an us and them it, situation. It is, it's uh, absolutely. Yeah. Are, are we looking down on them? I think that's an important question, isn't it? I think we sometimes, yes, we are. Uh, we're, we're looking down on these people. We see them as something uh, less than ourselves. Uh, and we're we're doing that by creating and using fear and by organising and, and in a sense manufacturing fear, you mm. know. And that's that, that is uh, is very difficult uh, situation, which I think everybody, right-minded person in this country, has to try and combat and avoid, uh, you know, those sorts of situations. You know, when you look mm. at I think, I don't know, the Guardi would be able to do this, but if you look at criminal acts by migrants, you know, that are exploited to stoke fears, uh, they're, they're not generated by migrants, the majority. The, the majority of violent attacks perpetrated in this country come from people who are here. Uh, they're native Irish, they're based here. We've hmm. numerous examples of that in, in the last number of weeks alone. Uh, very serious crimes, and they were very perpetrated by people who had their roots here in Ireland. As a a church leader, do you think that there's any justification for anybody looking down on another person that they've never even met? No, I do not. Uh, As a a Christian people, uh, you know, even, and this is true of Judaism, it's true of Islam, we believe in the one God, we believe that all people are equal, we believe all people are are sacred, and every one of them has to uh, be respected uh, without exception, irrespective of race, irrespective of ethnicity, religion, social, cultural difference. Uh, They are equal and they're entitled uh, to be treated as as that as people who are made uh, created in the image and likeness of God, if you want to use religious language, mm-hmm. there seems uh, to uh, be. Uh, you know, you have that you have that phrase. You know, when you go back into the book of Genesis, where Abraham, you know, meeting the angel, and one of the things he said was that when you welcome the strangers, to welcome God. Mm. Okay, well, no welcome for people in Ring's End, uh, but it might have been different if uh, the local people uh, had have realised what the intention was and we're hearing of a communication problem and there seems to be a theory that uh, whoever burned down the pub wouldn't have burnt it down if uh, they'd known it was for homeless Irish people. They only burnt it down because it was for immigrants. Does that make any yeah. sense at that all? That makes no sense yeah. to me at all. That's, that's pure, uh, pretty much you're on the verge of racism there, you know, once you begin to make those sort of statements. Well, if I'd known it was them, I wouldn't have burnt it down because they're Irish. But if I'd known it was somebody else, mm. well, uh, you know, then uh, it's a kind of fair game uh, to, to destroy a premises. Um, you know, that's what you're doing is you're othering somebody there um, and say, saying that they're different than us because they're Irish and, and or, or because they're migrants. Mm. So what are we doing there? We're creating this divide again. 
And there needs to be a, a collective response to this because either as a society and, you know, a, a total society, we have to either bridge and reach across to other groups uh, towards what you might call an inheritance, shared humanity and connection. And we do recognise there, of course, there are differences. Mm. But uh, those differences are legitimate differences. Uh, uh, but you can't get into the, the us versus them, which that situation which you outlined about, if it was the homeless, that's one thing. But if it was mm. migrants, it's something else. That's an M and thus an M. Uh, and it's, it's supporting practices uh, which dehumanise the them the them being uh, migrants or people who are seeking protection here in Ireland. So we have to try and build a true society of belonging, because that's, that's absolutely essential as we go forward. Uh, uh, you know, and it, it that's, doesn't insist that we're all the same, but it means recognising, sometimes celebrating our differences as a society, where we're all, where, you know, we, if you like, the people, includes all the people, no exceptions. Mm-hmm. More and more. And I think... I'm more sure. and more. And, you know, anybody that's gone to these, some of these countries, you know, in where there's extreme poverty, I've been in countries like which are ranked, well, you know, in the lowest 10 economic countries in the world. There is no future there sometimes for people to live in these countries to find a living. Yeah. That's apart from all of the violence and everything else that drives them. Uh, out of these countries, including the effects of climate change, where you can't uh, survive, you know, if you don't have agriculture or fishing or mm. industry. We hear people say more frequently, I think, that I'm not racist, but uh, we have to be realistic. I mean, this is one of the arguments that people are putting forward. We have to be realistic. There's nowhere to house these people, uh, and I'm not racist. It's not fair on those people, apart from anything else. Uh, the inn is full, I think, was the phrase that was used before the Christmas. Yeah, and I use the, frame, I use the phrase that the inn, the inn is not full in my Christmas homily, uh, that there is room in the inn. We're a very wealthy country, you know. We're one of the, up there in one of the wealthiest countries, and that wealth has been given to us as a great gift. It has come over a period of the last uh, 50 years. I can certainly remember, as one of my approaching 70 years of age, a time when we were in poverty. We didn't have jobs, we didn't have industry, agriculture was very poor, and it was very subsistence living here in the 50s and 60s. But since the 70s, the standard of living has risen here enormously, I suppose largely driven by our membership of the EU. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we need now to be able to give something back from what we have received as, as a gift uh, and that's the, the challenge to us. But the em- the emigration has always been a, a part of Irish life, certainly. It has, absolutely. Certainly through the 50s and 60s. Absolutely, 60s and, and 70s and yeah, 80s and yeah, 90s. You think of the number of people yeah, that left yeah. here. But, but what, do you, what do you say to people, Australia? though, Archbishop, uh, who, who will say, well, yes, of course the Irish went to, uh, abroad, but when we went abroad, we didn't sponge off the state. We worked for a living and we earned our way. Yeah, which are the people here are, are working for a living, the vast majority of them. If they can. You know, mm. which, if they can. And there is plenty. Of, uh, we have jobs at the moment. It, everywhere you look around this city here, I see advertisements for vacancies uh, in all sorts of jobs. Um, so there's plenty of jobs here. We, we definitely have a housing problem. Mm. And that was, in some sense, created by the economic crash uh, after 2007 and 2008, where house building stopped. 
for probably 10, 12 years, not those very little houses built except a few one-off houses. Uh, and I suppose we're reaping the rewards of that particular crash now in the sense mm. that it, it takes a long time to ramp this up. And in fact, if the people who come here migrated, if they all upped and left in the morning, we wouldn't be able to achieve the housing targets that are proposed at the moment, which is around 30,000, mm-hmm. because we wouldn't have the workforce and the skilled force to do it. Mm. I, I've so heard people to... talk uh, about uh, Irish culture, our traditions, uh, and indeed our religion, as some people <laughs> would put it, uh, and they can't come here and change all of that. Uh, as a church leader, as a, uh, one of uh, the members of the Catholic hierarchy, what do you say to people? I said people, you know, people bring their own faiths here. Uh, we in the Archdiocese of Dublin try to accommodate uh, many of the people who come here as migrants. We provide them uh, space for worship because that's part of their, say, the Orthodox. We many Orthodox people come from the Orthodox tradition and other Christian traditions. Uh, we provide churches for them because that's important, uh, that they be able to worship God. Mm. We all worship the one God. Yeah. You know, whether you're Jew, whether you're uh, Islamic or whether you're Christian and all the branches of Christianity, it's the same God that we worship. So we certainly reach out to provide for Ukrainians, for uh, the cops from Egypt and all of the various other churches, the Indian churches, the Syrah Malabar, the Syrah Malankar. Uh, we provide them with worship spaces. Mm. Uh, and I think that's important that we do that, uh, that we share our resources with these people. Okay. Uh, and not not try to alienate them and make life extremely difficult for them. They, and they're making a contribution. They're bringing something of their own culture as well. Oh, That's of course, important. yeah. There's a lot for Why, us to learn. You know, mm-hmm. the Irish went mm-hmm. abroad. I remember being in Washington in the 19, mid-1970s. Uh, and in a house, and they, were, they had been there from way back, you know, in the 30s and 40s. And there they were playing Irish music. Mm. You know, they brought their yeah. culture, mm. and they, here they were in a, in, a, in, a, in a strange land, but they didn't eliminate their culture or try to destroy their culture. They kept the culture, mm-hmm. and that can enrich us. Well, when you look at it that way, uh, it, it makes sense to people, but you're asking people to look at it in reverse, to think that people are coming to yes. this country with their cultures, with their traditions, with their music Absolutely. and so on. Mm. Yes. Mm. And like when I know when we were in schools for you, when I was in chairman of the board, chair and board of management in primary schools, we had an intercultural day, and you know we we asked children and their parents and grandparents to come and bring something of their own culture, and we put on a display and invite others their food mm. and you know the various other things they bring their music their dress, uh, and th- these are. Um, uh, dimensions of their lives which are important to them and mm. nobody I wouldn't be asking them to eliminate their culture and procreate this you know uh, almost harmonious culture in this country that's bland or nothing we have our cultures and we keep them they won't be mm. destroyed by these people nor do they want to destroy them okay can I ask you about the year ahead are, are you concerned about the year ahead because whilst we've seen uh, an increase in uh, racism and xenophobia uh, we've seen more people say things like, I'm not racist, but, 
or we've seen more people say, if you say anything, you're labelled a racist, uh, but I have genuine concerns uh, and so on. Uh, but all of this up to this point, I think, has really only been a dress rehearsal for what's coming this year because of the elections uh, that uh, will take place uh, in June in particular. Uh, and elections uh, tend uh, to yes. bring these issues to the fore. And I think that's probably what's going to happen this time. Are you concerned about where we're going? Uh, I'm always concerned that uh, we, elections would be used, uh, you know, or misused uh, to pr- promote exclusion and dehumanisation. Uh, that's always a concern. But I, I would hope that we have responsible politicians, uh, that it's in the best interests of the country, not uh, that we promote a society that's uh, harmonious, that's open uh, to people, and not... Uh, to use disinformation uh, and uh, the situation of homelessness to create further mayhem and exclusion here and dehumanisation because the results of that, and it is sometimes a powder cake, you can see how quickly something uh, ignited here on the capital of the city within a few minutes. So, you know, that, that line between order and disorder can be very, very thin indeed. So, you know, we need to avoid, if you like, uh, fueling that or lighting the match. Because when you embark on a road like we saw down in Galway or down in Centre City or indeed in Ring's End, when you embark on that particular road, you don't know what the consequences of your actions are. And the consequences of those actions can get out of control extremely quickly. So I would be appealing to all politicians, local politicians, you know, we need to build bridges uh, rather than to uh, create differences and exclude people. That's really the, the challenge to all of us build those bridges. All right, Archbishop, thank you very much indeed for taking our call this morning and indeed for joining us on the programme and a Happy New Year to you. Dermot Farrell is the Archbishop of Dublin. Now, if you'd like to make comment on our programme today, our phone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, County Council has an awful lot of questions uh, to answer, uh, but they're not saying anything thus far. Not a word from the council, and uh, this relates to that freedom of information request uh, that we've made a big deal of, I think quite rightly so, uh, on this uh, programme because of how it was responded to. There were two documents. uh, It was appealed. Then it became five documents. It went to the Information Commissioner. uh, They told them to do a proper search. They came up with an an amazing 892 documents all in relation to one motion uh, to uh, look at a legal strategy that uh, is still a adopted by Christian Brothers to thwart victims of child sexual abuse from gaining justice. It's an incredible situation. Uh, We were told that the council uh, had taken a motion uh, in relation to this off uh, Louth County Council agenda based on legal advice. Uh, We've been looking at uh, that legal advice uh, although the council uh, wouldn't be aware that we have this document. We have a number of documents uh, that the council wouldn't be aware that we have and we have a number of text messages that they haven't disclosed as well, uh, which we will be following up on. Uh, but uh, there's a, a brief email that was sent uh, at 22.11 at night uh, to a council official. It's 
starts off by saying, hi, Joe. So I'm sure Joe knows who he is and uh, knows that we're reading this email that was sent to him. Uh, But in relation to this uh, particular motion, it says, there doesn't appear to be anything specific within the standing orders which regulates or imposes restrictions on the nature and content of a, a motion. However, I think it would be reasonable to say that should a motion be considered by the meeting's administrator to be obviously out of order or illegal in nature, then it should first be referred to the Cahirlock. Now, that, that is uh, from a firm of solicitors to an official in Loud County Council saying, you need to talk to the Cahirlock. The Cahirlock at the time was Fianna Fáil councillor Conor Keelan, who's on the line. And a very good morning to you, Conor, and thanks for joining us once again on the programme. Morning, uh, happy uh, year to you. And happy... And, um, trust you had a very good Christmas. I did indeed, uh, and likewise uh, for you, uh, and uh, a happy new year to you, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. Now, you told us before that uh, you had COVID at the time, uh, and uh, that you weren't being consulted about removing this motion uh, from uh, the agenda, but you were not happy about it. That's correct. I said in the appropriate time I wasn't consulted at all. Um, And um, equally, equally, Mike, um, I'm on record um, I'm in right, Mike. There's just some interference on the line there, Mike. Am I coming through? Yes, uh, clearly. I, I'm sorry, I can hear you clearly. Yes. Yeah. Um, and um, basically, Mike, um, as I made clear, um, uh, several times, um, both at CVG meeting and which recorded in minutes, and also at um several private meetings with um, uh, various um, senior officials on the council. Um, I, I raised concern over the attempt to remove a motion from the law. I basically said at the time that um, that any local any locally elected representative had the right to put forward a motion. That is their um it is their elected uh, uh, right as an uh, elected uh, member. And I said to them, and I even made a comment as well to um, other councillors in the chamber, I said, it is their right, and I said, I would defend it. And I said, I would expect other members to do the same if it was, if they were, um, it was their motion. I said, I would defend your right to, to have a motion heard in the chamber too. Hmm. And um, I would expect, for example, if I put forward a motion in the chamber, that others would allow me to have it heard. That's the very point. Mm. It, once, um, once you're elected, you have a right to put forward motions to the law, and therefore you're right to have them heard. Um, uh, I would cite the example of a piece of advice that was taught me by my father before I became a councillor. I was first elected in 2009, and um, uh, myself, Tid and Doc, uh, uh, Town Council, and I sadly abolished by Phil Hogan, um, who subsequently became Minister for the Environment, who um, uh, abolished all of the, the town councils, town councils mm-hmm. across the, the country. Um, now, various people say they want to bring them back again, but they're abolished. Let's just say facts about it. Now, um, uh, he um, now um, now um, 
that was a retrograde step that happened to open up in this country. It was an awful decision. Sure. Um, one of the worst ever happened. Um, but Custom House have always wanted to abolish urban local government. It mm. just happened, and, and it did. Now, um, um, uh, and it's a sad fact, in, in local government in the country at the moment, it's rural dominated. That's a fact. Bar the city councils around the state, or, urban government is, do, county councils are dominated by, um, urban urban mm. government is dominated by, uh, it's, it's county councils are dom, rural dominated at the expense of, um, of urban Urban government loses out. Okay. But where, where, where well, does, in terms where? Of, of rural services, etc., you have to just do. Now, now, just in relation yeah. to the, I, I was when I was first came accounts, I was told if a councillor puts forward a motion, if it's unpopular or something like that, you should give it the right to be heard. And and um, okay, but in this so circumstance, it, the, it was the chief executive who decided unilaterally, yeah. it seems, to remove this motion without consulting with you as the Cahirlick, despite the legal advice that was given to the council. Has this happened before or since? Have motions been taken off the agenda? Um, taken off the agenda, um, or not allowed onto the during, agenda? <laughs> on the agenda. During my time as when I was Cahirlick of Dundalk Municipal District, um, uh. I was told that motions were unpopular at CPG meeting. Uh, and um, now what happened was, was that if a motion wasn't seconded, it wasn't paired. Mm. Right? Now, um, however, on some occasions, I would, um, I would second a motion to let it be heard myself. Okay, but ha- okay. Ha- ha- as it happened... Uh, in uh, with any other motion that the chief executive yeah. or any other uh, member of the executive would remove a, a motion the way this particular motion was removed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as you said before on on your show, to me, um, that's interference um, to the democratically elected right of elected members to to actually physically remove motion mm. without consultation in advance, but also. It's exceeding the authority um, of the executive into the law. Because it's, it's a reserve function. Yeah. A reserve function, function exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, and um, so... Um, so so you took great yeah, issue uh, w- with this uh, at the time. You made it known. Uh, yes. Uh, it's in, in the, public. It's in, um, it's, the it's in the in, minutes uh, at your request. Minutes, yes. uh, you had a yes. bit of a, a showdown at the council meeting, I, I think. Well, uh, what necessarily call a showdown. Okay, but is it right to say that the chief executive threatened to get security to remove you? Um. Um, where uh, um, I'm just reading that from I the minutes. I, 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 I presume it is correct. I'm just reading that from the minutes because uh, there was obviously uh, a, a lot uh, in contention uh, in relation to this motion uh, and you and Joan Martin, the chief executive, had very different opinions on this. Uh, That's true. 
and uh, the minutes say that uh, you had claimed that the chief executive had threatened to, to get security to remove you. While repeatedly, while, while repeatedly pointing uh, at uh, at Joan Martin, uh, but that we we leave that maybe to one side for the moment. Yeah, I think we will. Yeah. Uh, but 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 I, I suppose the reason I was mentioning it, Connor, is because it, it is uh, when I read that I I, I got the impression uh, that you felt as strongly uh, as you did that it led to some sort of hullabaloo. Let's put it that way. But anyway, well, you do you you do feel very strongly about that motion being removed. Uh, what do you make of what's transpired since? Uh, and that uh, following the direction of uh, the Information Commissioner, instead of discovering five documents, the Council has now discovered almost 900 emails. Well, I think it's 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 um, uh, it's, it's utterly ridiculous that it's gone to this level. Um, uh, when, I he- when I first of all heard that the motion was going to be removed in the first place, I said this was, um, this was the utterly wrong strategy to pursue. I said... I said that they should consult with Councillor Yor straight away. Um, I felt that this hadn't been done, and I felt if they had consulted with Councillor Yor, they would have uh, stopped this from occurring. Why, why do I you would make, what, a point, make a point as well? I, I spoke to Councillor Yor initially after, um, after one of the meetings, and I just said to Councillor Yor to, um, I would support her with the motion mm. and I said and I said um, uh, from memory I said to her out in the chamber I said Maeve um, I was supposed to Maeve in the chamber with the motion Maeve and um, and don't withdraw it Do you believe that executives have allowed their religious beliefs to interfere with how they carry out their duties? I can't comment on that. Do you believe that the motion may have been removed for that reason or because uh, Edmund Garvey uh, was, uh, is a native of Drogheda? Well, um, you see, from my perspective, that was irrelevant. I made that mm. comment in the chamber too. No, but I, I suppose what we're, trying to, what we're trying to discover is why the council wanted that motion removed from the agenda, why the Council didn't want a vote to be taken on rescinding the freedom of Drogheda from Brother Edmund Garvey. Uh, and then that leads uh, to questions as to why the Council has not been transparent and has not acted in line with the law, the Freedom of Information Act. And even on this occasion now, when we're told there's 892 emails, we know that they are still in breach of the Act because they have not discovered the text messages on their phones and so on. And we have copies of those texts. Yeah, well, well, as you say, um, from from your analysis, it would appear that they're in breach of the act. I would concur with that. Um, also, also, in so, so what should that, what should happen now? What should happen? Is there any accountability uh, with Loud County? Um, on, on this, on this, on this point, on this point, I really feel that um, I really feel there should be um, an open hearing at the next county council meeting to um to 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 finally um address the fact um why 
has it reached this this length? Why has NMFM had to drag, um, have to have to drag answers out of Blair County Council through this method? Why have they? I also see from the September minutes uh, that you raised an issue of freedom of information queries, a non-response to 13 such queries. Uh, You were advised that they're all examined weekly at the senior management team meeting. So this goes right at the top, doesn't it? Well, it does, yes. I have to say that it does. Um, um, You're you're talking now of a pattern, really, aren't you? Um, you have to raise you have to raise issues now in terms of all issues to a freedom of information request now. Um uh you're talking not not just the freedom of information requests on this issue, this motion, but all freedom of requests coming into the council would have to be would have to be open to 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 uh, to to query or to clarity. I would feel that now. And I, I would also I would also be asking asking directly who is directly responsible for answering directly freedom of information requests. And this is what you'll be putting on the agenda for the next meeting. Well, well, well what I would say is, is that I, have, I already have two notes of motion on the floor. I expect both of them to be... I, I, am, I have them both on the floor. I, am, uh, I intend to propose both motions and um, hopefully they'll be seconded and then passed. Now, um, uh, I um, I can't raise any other motion. However, I can raise other business through questions during the course of the meeting. Okay. Well. Now, obviously, Mike, if any of your LMFM staff are at the meeting, they can obviously cover it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We'll be watching it very closely, uh, and yeah. uh, I, I'm sure. Uh, well, I imagine that some other of the other members uh, will uh, feel similar to you because there's some very serious questions. It would seem of Louth County Council. Connor, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That is Connor Keelan, Fianna Fáil councillor on Louth County Council, formerly the Carrierlock. Michael Reed on LMFM. A number of uh, people in touch with us, uh, surprisingly, I would think, objecting to comments made by Archbishop Dermot Farrell, the Archbishop of Dublin, on uh, the programme uh, this morning. I'll give you one for the moment from Jules, who says, is the Archbishop for real? I'm heading for 60, still working hard so I can afford my bills. People have had enough seeing others coming into the country and getting everything handed to them. It's so unfair. How many is he going to give a roof over their head to or any parish priest sitting in their nice big houses? Double standards, says Jules. As I say, that's just one of uh, the messages that have come to us, given uh, that uh, the Archbishop said, well, they're not coming here getting everything handed to them. Uh, it's surprising uh, to read uh, Jules' text, uh, but I'll come to some more of those messages in the next few minutes. If you stay with us, our phone number is 041-983-2000 if you want to ring us, text or WhatsApp 86 or email michael at lmfm.ie Now, when we get to the end of 2024, if you're starting the year smoking, Smoking, will you still be a smoker come 
12 months from now. Well, perhaps not. Perhaps now is the time to quit and the HSE certainly would encourage you to give up smoking if at all possible. Mark Garvey, Health Promotion and Improvement Officer with the HSE is on the line. Good morning to you, Mark. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Maybe you'd sell it to us. Uh, If uh, there's a smoker listening to us now, why do you believe they should give up? Good morning, Michael. How are you? A happy new year to yourself and the team. Um, Look, first and foremost, thanks very much for for giving me the opportunity to come on and and have a chat with yourselves today about the the Stop Smoking Services. Um, We have a broad range of Stop Smoking Services in Loudon Mead. We have a clinic, two clinics, sorry, in Loud, one in Drada, one in the Dock. And then we have three clinics in Mead, one in Navin, Kells, and another in Trim. two in family resource centres and one in a primary care centre and two in health centres across Loud as well. Okay, well, so you you have a lot of help at hand, uh, but is that help necessary? I mean, there's that famous Mark Twain quote, isn't it? Giving up smoking is easy. I do it every day. Absolutely. Look, absolutely. It's it's the most. It, it is nicotine is is one of the most addictive drugs in, in in the world. It's really really difficult to to give up. And um, with ourselves, with our serve, the service that we offer, and um, you're actually five times more likely to do it. There's obviously lots of health benefits in um, in in relation to giving up um, cigarettes, so like reducing your risks of cancer, heart disease, stroke, etc. And then there's also uh, the monetary gains. So there's massive amounts of savings to be done there as well. Um, on the quit.ie website, we have a calculator that that kind of adds up if you're smoking, for instance, 20 a day. If it's costing you 14 or 15 euro a pack, you have the, you have the opportunity to save nearly 5,000 euro or over 5,000 euro um, on a yearly basis. So that's oh quite God. a lot of yeah. extra money. It, well, that, that, that would be a fabulous holiday or it could go some way towards a deposit for a, a new house or God knows, maybe you'd get yourself a, a car or put it towards the cost of a car. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, so there's, there's massive benefits to be done there as well as on the health side of things. Um, from our own from our own service perspective, what we offer is it's a it's look it's a twelve week intensive program, um, but we kind of support the, the patient or the client for um, the full year if the full year until they're totally quit from cigarettes. Um, the twelve basically what happens on the program we have a standard treatment plan that was developed by the Tobacco Free Ireland. Um, under the first two sessions are really, really important. There's a pre-quit session where, like on the phone today, Michael, we'll be yeah. having a chat um, about your your previous your previous attempts of maybe quitting, or have you ever even attempted to quit before? Is it something that's entered your Is it something that's entered your mind? Um, how many cigarettes do you smoke on a daily basis? We come up with a plan. We come up with a plan for that, and we get. We also, luckily enough, we have um, use of free NRT. So NRT is nicotine replacement therapy. Um, so kind of it supports um, by by using kind of it supports their process by using patches, um, an inhalator, gum, spray, lozenge, and these are all licensed products that can be picked up from the pharmacy, and that's totally free for the first twelve weeks of the program. Mm. After our first, after that pre quit Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's that pre-crit assessment. We'll then go into session two. We'll have a conversation around kind of setting the quit date and actually um, talking about the withdrawal symptoms that, that might come with cigarettes because, as I said, it's not easy, but... We do get there through that, that this this twelve week program. Um, following on following on from that, we then have um, a four, four weeks of kind of post quit to see how you're getting on, to making sure that you you haven't actually relapsed, to making sure that nothing has cropped up over the over the week that right. um, that, that you feel oh do you know something that was a mm. difficult situation that mm. I wasn't expecting, and we have conversations around that as well. Right, are, are these one to one conversations? So what we have is we offer one-to-one. So the first session, right. generally, you'll come in to me. You'll have mm. that, that initial conversation. And we can do it over the phone. We can do the, the rest of the sessions over the phone. Um, or there is the, the group support alternative uh, option as well. So if yourself and family member were interested in quitting, um, what we can do is we can we can bring you both in to have the conversation. Or as I said, it can be it can be over the phone. Um, okay. Or if it's, if it's a friend that's interested in quitting as well okay. you can do that mm, that's fantastic uh, how much does that cost totally free Michael really um, totally free yeah. my god yeah. right because uh, it, it sounds like marvellous support because it is very difficult to give up smoking uh, and I, I know it's true to say that a, a lot of people will turn around and say I'm giving up smoking that's it that's my last cigarette they put it out uh, uh, and say that's it uh, and 15 minutes later no I'm going to do this Half an hour later, the monkey is on the back. Uh, 45 minutes later, it's up on the shoulder. After an hour or so, the monkey is screaming in your ear and you're reaching for the cigarettes and saying, I just can't do it. I'll pull my hair out before I give up the smokes. Uh, I just can't do it. It's impossible. Uh, And then that's it till next January. Uh, So I take it that's part of that pre-quit chat to psych yourself up for it, is it? That's exactly it, Michael. That's that's the beauty of the programme. So that pre-quit chat... I'm not talking to you saying, Michael, we're going to set your quit date for tomorrow. It's very much when you're ready. So we have the pre-quit chat. You might not set your quit date for three weeks, four weeks. You have that built-in time. How are you going to get over to certain situations? That first cigarette in the morning, people will generally love that first cigarette in the morning. How are you going to get through that? And we talk through that. And mm. if, if, there's, if, there's a ses- if there's sessions that are needed in between that, we generally will have the conversation. So even if you're not setting your quit day for three weeks, I can give you a call the following week and say to you, look, Michael, um, let's have, a, let's have a, a conversation about that first cigarette in the morning. And we reduce, and then we actually set the quit date. Right, so... If you quit, uh, after a year, the risk of coronary heart disease is half that of 
a smoker or half that of what you would have had a year previous. Between 5 and 15 years, stroke risk is reduced to that of a non-smoker. After 15 years, the risk of coronary heart disease is that of someone who never smoked. So you're back to full health, if you like, in terms of the damage that cigarettes can do to people. So there's a lot of good reason to do it, which is to do with living longer and to have €5,000 extra a year in your pocket while you're at it. And all free of charge if people wish to do it to avail of the support from the HSE. How do people go about that, Mark? Yeah, so basically, Michael, there's the contact. You can contact your your local GP, and GPs we sent out information. They can they can refer patients through the health mail, and we've also developed a, a QR code, a poster with a QR code on it that you can you can sign up. Uh, you can sign up yourself, and we and we'll get in contact with you within three days. And then you can, or you can email us. We have an any quiz at hc.ie, and myself, Madeline, or Kate will will reply within that three days, and we'll set up that first appointment. Or alternatively, you can call the quit line, which is eighteen hundred two hundred one two hundred three, um, and you will be referred to one of the clinics, or they can support you over the phone as well. Okay. So lots and lots of different support out there. Okay. Well, this could be the year for some people, and we wish everybody the best of luck if uh, they are trying to quit uh, because it is so worthwhile. Mark, thank you indeed for joining us on the program today. Mark Garvey, Health Promotion and Improvement Officer with the HSA. Now, let me bring you some more of those comments that I was talking about a few minutes ago. Peter, one of the people in touch taking umbrage with what the Archbishop of Dublin had to say. He said, good on you, Michael. You got that lefty bishop to spout out your left-wing tripe. I see you didn't allow anyone with the opposite view to challenge him. Uh, So your dictatorship of lefty views will be aired on radio and TV. That's why most people don't care what you say anymore. You're you only air lefty viewpoints. Thank you indeed, uh, righty Peter. Uh, Claire in me then touching, I do not mind people coming into our country. I mind the fact that we have a shortage of houses. I mind the fact that these people are put in certain parts of Dublin. I don't see any in Malahide, Castleknock, the posh, as some people call side of Dublin. There's walks and open spaces where people like to walk, not when there's... Uh, people in the area that you don't know, says Claire. Thanks indeed. Uh, somebody else was in touch uh, saying another hate in. Another hate in. That's uh, sort of a play on words like instead of it being a love in, it was a hate in by Open Door Read. Open Door being the borders, I'm sure. Slagging off anyone who wants the barn door shut with his production line of far left guests like the Catholic cleric Thank you indeed. I, I, I'm very taken aback by the comments, uh, negative comments about uh, the Archbishop that we're getting. I think it's uh, one of uh, the few occasions uh, that we've seen comments like that. On the other hand, Betty Daly says, Michael, imagine Ireland without Indian or Chinese takeaways. Loads of us would starve only for them. And look at all the cleaning of kitchens. Uh, they're saving Irish people uh, on a lighter note. Uh, thank you indeed, Betty, as always, for your message to the programme. Uh, some other messages uh, then coming to us uh, as well. 
uh, Tony Gribben of uh, the Dremore Group, uh, survivors of uh, sexual abuse in the Diocese of Dremore, has contacted us once again following our conversation with uh, Fianna Fáil Councillor Conor Keelan. And he says, nothing short of an open discussion in Louth County Council Chambers and further investigation required as to why the motion to rescind Garvey was purged from public discussion is now needed. This affair will not go away. It does seem that Loud County Council uh, will come under some pressure to give some explanations that they haven't been able to give before. We have a, a, a story brewing uh, and we're putting the council on notice because they've already breached the Freedom of Information Act. We know that by how they've come up with 900 emails or thereabouts instead of the five that they discovered. But we also know that they have text messages that they haven't discovered, again, not in line with the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, Paddy in Terman Fekin says, uh, before you wrap up, will you ask our listeners, have they ever been refused a Freedom of Information request? Uh, I think that's what you meant, Paddy. I think there might be a typo in that. Uh, but he, he says, is this denying people their constitutional rights? Uh, and giving two fingers to their efforts to find out uh, the truth. Um, he wonders uh, how people feel about that if uh, that has been the case. It's very hard to know. See, this this whole thing calls into question so much uh, in terms of how Loud County Council is dealing with freedom of information requests. Are they? I mean, we 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 we're very clear uh, that they disregarded our request, uh, and why they did that is up to the council now to explain. Uh, but what about all of the other requests? Uh, Noel, thank you indeed. He says, Happy New Year to you and yours and the same to you, Noel, and everybody listening. He says, There is an attempted genocide going on at the moment on the unfortunate Palestinians. The world is looking on. Michael, it is up to you and your fellow journalists and politicians to keep reporting on the slaughter of the unfortunate Palestinians by the apartheid state of Israel. Thanks, Noel. Um, we haven't forgotten. And people are texting us, uh, have been texting us uh, since we came back yesterday. Uh, it, it, it really is heartbreaking to watch what's going on um, uh, and to see so many lives uh, being destroyed and ended. Uh, and what seems so senseless. Somebody else in touch said it would seem that uh, the CEO uh, has not abided the law by disregarding the Freedom of Information Act uh, and she needs to be held to account by the council. Is Councillor Keelan prepared to raise the matter in public at the June monthly meeting and does Councillor Keelan think that this is a resigning matter? Thank you indeed uh, for your message uh, to the programme. I think Councillor Keelan is going to raise the issue, uh, but uh, as he said, undoubtedly LMFM will be at the next meeting of the County Council and we'll hear a full report of it. I think we might hear more about that particular story in the upcoming days. Uh, but if you'd like to make comment on that or something else today, let me remind you how you can. You can ring us and speak to us at 041-983-2000. You can just send a text or WhatsApp your message to 086 1800 658 or you can email Michael at 
at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's go to Carlingford and Ma Baker's pub. Aidan Baker is on the line. Good morning to you, Aidan, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. We were discussing the article in the Irish Times yesterday about how eight weeks after the flooding in uh, Cooley, people were waiting for payments, uh, this compensation, humanitarian assistance uh, that uh, the government had promised to people. That came uh, as a big surprise to some, myself included. And uh, the article concluded, as we mentioned yesterday, with a quote from you, which I'll read again, which is, what happens if this happens again? Will we have to wait for another six to eight weeks? Uh, it sounds as though people are at their at the end of their tether at this stage. Would that be correct, Aidan? That'd be correct, yeah. Um, any, any sign of change? Uh, no sign of change, yeah. We just got a bit of good news there yesterday from um, Anton Waters, the local councillor, that there's money in North Wales in the next couple of days. So well, a bit of light for us, a bit of hope. Right, OK. <laughs> but you would have expected this to be uh, paid out before Christmas, I take it? Yeah, well, we were waiting and waiting and just for Christmas and we're just thinking of the backlog and stuff now, so there's a bit of good, bit of good news coming our way. Mm. Uh, and um, you're living on tenderhooks uh, at the same time, hoping uh, that you don't see a repeat of uh, the heavy rain and the flooding that followed. No, no, we don't want any more of that there. No, we were just we were panicking in this past couple of days. Now the, the tide's coming in high and the drains were coming up a wee bit, but no, I think they're all, they're all cleaned and hopefully that'll be the end of it. But mm. uh, we can't, we can't, we don't can't tell the weather what's going to happen next. Yeah. What What's it meant for your business? What's that, sorry? What has it meant for your business? Um, well, it's sort of slowed down a wee bit. You know, if you're coming up to Christmas, that, but it's took off a wee bit and we're just trying to get back on track now. Mm. We're still sort of cleaning, we're all the clean down, we're sort of painting and still doing a bit of wee for every week, doing a wee bit and wee bit, bit by bit. Mm-hmm. You know? Are, are are you disappointed? The Irish Red Cross, uh, as we mentioned on the programme yesterday, told uh, the Irish Times that there was no delay in administering applications. Uh, would you have expected payment sooner? Yeah, well, listen, we have a lot to deal with. This. We're not just the only ones in the village. There's plenty of local people that are lost houses and stuff. And, you know, so we were debated and we fought most of it. But there's people worse off than us. Uh, and people are annoyed or disappointed or... Uh, yeah, everyone's just thinking, like, I know there yesterday there was people starting to panic, there's more rain coming and everyone's running for sandbags and didn't know what to expect. Yeah. You just can't, you can't tell the time of the weather at the same time. Mm. And what's the future, though, if that's the case? I mean, you can't go on like that. No, we can't go on and say, we have to put uh, stuff in progress for going ahead. Is this going to happen again? Is it going to come and help us? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, can flood prevention measures be put in place? What's that, sorry? Flood prevention measures, can they be put in place? Yeah, well, sure, it could be put in place, yeah, but there's nothing we came across to, to advise us what to do or what not to do. We're sort of just doing everything ourselves, just watching drains and watching tides and watching weather and mm. just taking on our own behalf and hoping for the, hoping for the, the best that doesn't happen again. Right. And are, are you satisfied that the drains have been cleared sufficiently so that that won't compound the situation if we get heavy rain again? Yeah, well, that's, that's been a big help, you know, because before that hasn't really happened as much, so the drains weren't cleaned. No, 
when I was up there beside the, beside the river there, uh, beside the butchers, la, not last night, the night before, and it was a bit of foot away from the top of it. But I say, if I had been a load of stuff coming down, a load of branches and twigs and stuff, it could have blocked up and we would have been flooded again. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and then the top of the mountain, I don't know what's going to happen up there. It seems to be coming from the top down. And, and we're running off to. And has nowhere to go, I think is what people have been saying. Nowhere to go in into the front door of my acres. Yeah. Is that nice? No. No. Um, but you can't get insurance for it, obviously. No, no, that will not covered. No, mm. no. Blood damage areas. Yeah. Is there anything else that can be done? I mean, can you build a wall to stop the rain coming into the pub? Well, that's up to the council, you know what? Not really we can do it with that. It's up to them to put them sort of things in progress for the near future. Mm. And is a, so, a, pl- a plan of that sort pu- necessary now? Well, I haven't heard none from nobody. No one's came to advise us or what they're going to do or what they're not going to do. or like, the, the roads and all still lifted down there from the last rain. Hmm. And they haven't been patched up or haven't seen nobody doing anything. Okay, but uh, just in the aftermath of uh, the flooding, um, there were some very senior politicians there, ministers, members of cabinet. Heather Humphreys was there, if I remember correctly. Michael McGrath was there. Um, but nothing since, is it? So, well, I've been talking down to Anton Waters about it. Say for he's doing everybody can stand for us. Mm. But say it's after that, it's the, it's the authorities. They can only do so much for the village and people in the area. But, but I suppose the point I'm making, uh, Aidan, is that there were a lot of promises uh, and that uh, you won't be left wanting uh, and you won't be left waiting. Uh, but those promises sound somewhat shallow now. Would that be right? That'd be right, yeah. Yeah. Who would you like to hear from? What's that, sorry? Who would you like to hear from? The council or who is it? Well, you'd want to hear from the ones sitting up in the, in the big chairs. Just in, you know, you don't see any of these people coming to us. Mm-hmm. It's the local boys, the local Sinn Council's doing all the work. Yeah. Very hard-working councillor Anton Waters, there's no doubt he came... Uh, uh, to the attention of a lot of people outside of the area, given um, the praise uh, that uh, there was for him working around the clock uh, at the end of October when the heavy rain came. Uh, but that's it, is it, Aidan? Uh, you haven't really been hearing from anybody else? No, no, not a one. Not a one. Okay. And what about the Red Cross? Uh, how easy is it to um, negotiate with them? Well, we've sent all our stuff to them, so we're waiting for them to go back to us. You know, we're only for Anton pushing that for us. They haven't come to us. So you're you're hearing it second-hand from Anton Waters that there will be a payment shortly, but you haven't heard directly from the Red Cross? No, that's right, yeah. I haven't heard any direct information from them. Okay. Okay, well, there's uh, no great cheer in any of that, Aidan. Um, no. When do you expect to open again? No, we, we only closed for two days. Okay. We were there ourselves and we done all, cleaned up most of the veins and put up the sandbags and done a couple of 24-hour shifts watching it day and night. It was hard now, but it's only for the local people in the area, our local customers and our family, 
Reserve our side or we're overwhelmed by the help that they give us. Mm-hmm. Only for them we'd have nothing, you know? Yeah. Really very difficult situation for you to be in and as you say, you're obviously concerned about what's going to happen next or when it happens, uh, how you'll be able to deal with it and what support you'll get for uh, for that. Yeah. Then, like every night there, you see rain at home, you're phoning down to the bar, is everything okay? The sandbag's ready. If you're not sleeping at night, they give my heart for the worst, do I have to go here? Do I have to run at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning? To go and start getting help and you know yeah okay well um, thank you indeed Aidan for taking the time to talk to us uh, we hope uh, that uh, this payment does come uh, through at some stage uh, because uh, you, you've a lot of problems don't you uh, uh, I was reading in the paper yesterday that uh, you lost the cocktail bar the snug and the parlour yeah we lost all that the flood, yeah. Yeah. But so we saved most of we saved the front Yeah. And that was directly what was coming in. Right. Okay. Well, hopefully you'll uh, be able to get things back to the way they were, and uh, that there'll be the support that uh, you were promised uh, in, in the coming days, Aidan. Thank you indeed for joining us yeah. on the program this morning. No problem. Thanks thank very you. much. Thank you very much, Aidan Baker of Ma Baker's Pub. Now, let me bring you some more of uh, the comments coming to us. Uh, we were talking about immigration on the program once again today. Uh, somebody, John Conlon and Bally McKenney, saying, uh, not only Dublin, all over Ireland, where would we be without the immigrants? If they weren't here, Ireland would be in trouble, says John. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, somebody else uh, says, we were told to remove our Catholic culture from Dundalk Hospital by removing our religious objects from the hospital to accommodate the Muslim culture. Uh, I don't know... Uh, what prompted that but it's probably to do with the Archbishop saying you've got to welcome people here and their cultures and their traditions and their religions Uh, but uh, obviously our caller doesn't agree with what Dermot Farrell had to say on the programme earlier on but thank you indeed for sharing your thoughts with us Michael Reed on LMFM. When will Tara Mines reopen? There's uh, at least 650 people who'd like to know the answer to that question because uh, they've been laid off now for some 143 days and there's another 2,000 people who were indirectly employed by Tara Mines. Uh, SIPTU was hoping that the Labour Court would propose uh, a date for recommencement of operations but that hasn't happened. Let's speak uh, to John Regan, SIP2 sector organiser who's on the line. A very good morning to you John, thanks for joining us. Uh, the Labour Court published its decision on this yesterday uh, and that is to refer it back to the Workplace Relations Commission, is it? Yeah, that's the decision they came to uh, which really um, to be honest it's not surprising to us that the court uh, adopted that position because it's what happened in 2001 the, the last time that the mine went into care and maintenance and um, the fact that we were in there under a binding um, decision by the court the unions were and that the uh, company would not be bound to the same outcome the court obviously was in a you know a difficult position that they would impose something on ourselves and not know whether the company would be uh, willing to accept. Uh, and 
they just weren't willing to uh, move to that position. And that's why we have no date for the recommencement and we've no redundancy terms. Uh, and in fairness, we didn't ask the court for redundancy terms because that's uh, an area that uh, we would have to have a vote on and uh, workers would have to make their mind up as to whether the terms would be good enough or not. So, um, yes, it's disappointing that we didn't get a better uh, frame uh, work to work in mm. and time frame to be able to go back to the court if um, if that's required. But look, it is what it is. Uh, we are engaging with the company again on Tuesday of this week with the WRC. So we're back very quick uh, in front of the conciliation uh, and hopefully we can do a deal that will bring forward uh, the earliest possible date for the recommencement of the operation. Do you believe the mine should be open today, do you? Well, that's what we put to the court on the day. We looked for it because this is a mine that operates 365 days of the week, 24-7. There wasn't an issue as far as we were concerned in looking at uh, even Christmas Day and opening uh, day for the mine and I'm pretty sure most of the workers would have been delighted even though it was at Christmas if we got that date they would most certainly be there uh, to get back into the employment so look at we need it as early as we possibly can the company's vagueness around uh, what they said before Christmas uh, the second quarter that's not uh, near acceptable um, and we're going to have to be pushing that date very very uh, you know early um, on Tuesday and uh, hopefully we can get some sort of movement on that from the company. Right, uh, but you don't have a- any sense of where the company's thinking is at this stage, do you? No, not at the moment, other than in the court on the 18th of December, they were very positive about all the things that we were looking for uh, but didn't have any real commitments. So, what we're hoping for is the positivity that they demonstrated to the court that they wanted to get this mine open earlier rather than later uh, actually comes into being. Uh, and hopefully on Tuesday, it will certainly uh, you know, bridge the gap between us that uh, we are looking at um, you know, a very early uh, start date. Right, uh, but we're five months into this now, aren't we? Since July, uh, when uh, the company said uh, that it was going to pause its operations, uh, some of uh, the staff, uh, some of your members have said, well, five months is more than long enough. Uh, They want to move on and uh, they'd like to get redundancy. Yeah, and that is part of um, you know what's going to probably emerge with a set of negotiations and, and proposals. Uh, we're not going to get uh, a situation where we um, you know will have one or two items fixed and engage on the rest of the things. Um, so it's going to be an all-inclusive uh, set of proposals. If that means going back to the labour court, then you know that's what it'll mean. Uh, the company are very keen to get a hold of the 63 proposals that the group of unions put forward before it went into care and maintenance. They know the value of them uh, proposals and uh, what it'll do for the efficiencies and improvement of the running of the mine. And, um, you know, that's where negotiations is going to come in. Uh, They're not going to get their uh, way in just extracting our proposals and leaving us out for dry with no date and no redundancy terms. So the whole thing has to come together uh, in one set of proposals 
And as I said, uh, we need that at the earliest uh, opportunity. Almost from the outset, uh, we were hearing from people who were saying that they couldn't get another job temporarily while they were waiting for the mine to reopen because prospective employers were looking at them saying, well, you're not going to stay here for very long. You'll go back and take your job in Tara Mines when it's available to you. Uh, And they fall into this category, I I think, uh, to some degree at least, in terms of who might want redundancy. Uh, Have you any idea of how many people might actually want to be laid off? No, we've no way of knowing that, Michael. And as well as that, um, the, the operation has to survive for a number of years, um, you know, to get out to the new ore body that uh, Tara Deep is. Uh, and uh, a workforce has to be kept, the skills has to be kept. It's going to be a voluntary redundancy package, I'm pretty sure um, of that. Uh, and uh, the company will really have control on uh, the numbers uh, unless we can get really into the meat of this. Uh, uh, which is not uncommon either in Tara Mines. We've done it in the past. We've capped the number of redundancies in the past. And uh, it's not beyond possibility that that might emerge this time as well, because, again, the mine has to operate. It has to survive uh, for at least five more years in its current state to get out to the new mine. So Mm. uh, skilled workforce is required there. Mm. Yes, it's very disappointing that employers... Uh, didn't hire people uh, under a temporary situation Uh, and it's one of the hardships that we have to now face with Mm. as you said um, 142 days of layoff uh, that can't continue on for you know it's going to take a number of months to get the mine back up to fully uh, operational and everybody back so it's going to be a phased opening Uh, so some people will be looking at 12 months possibly before they actually get back into the employment so there's a lot of there's a lot of work to be done, and um, we're going to be pressing it as far uh, as quickly as we can to get at least a commencement of um, operations and uh, some people coming back into employment. There's still some confusion, is there, as to why some workers had their employment terminated? It's a small number of workers, I think. Yeah, it's an issue that we thought the court might actually deal with. The company um, were not for turning on the fixed-term contracts or temporary contracts that they terminated um, just weeks before Christmas. Uh, It was a terrible thing to do. The company is not learning from how it announced its closure in the first place uh, and how upset and annoying uh, that was. They then now have added salt to that by way of uh, terminating um, six, seven people, they said in the court, that's what they're looking at. Um, they're prepared to defer the four or five that are due now in uh, January, uh, that they won't be terminating their employment. And again, that's not a, while it's helpful that they're going to be retained, the reality is um, it's not e- equal. The people, the three or four that lost their job pre Christmas, has to be brought back into the same uh, way of dealing with um, you know mm. workers and, and and giving them fair play, yeah. uh, same as everybody else. They also the company gave under the WRC agreement that closed uh, the mine or put it into care and maintenance. Uh, the 65 euros was part of it. The retainer payments. Everybody got a an individual letter 
confirming that they would be coming back on the current terms and conditions of employment. So how the company has boxed themselves into this corner is really remarkable. Uh, and it's unacceptable. And it's not going to stand uh, is the reality of it. And then there's other issues, I understand, uh, that you have with uh, the company, like shop stewards being paid if they're attending meetings. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, the company is looking at that, uh, I take it, as uh, something that's outside of uh, the duties uh, that um, they've employed them for. But that probably uh, is way down the list of the issues uh, and some very, very serious issues couldn't be more serious in actual fact. It it sounds like a a very fraught relationship uh, between workers and the company. Is that a relationship uh, that can be repaired? Oh, absolutely. Because again, on the day of the court hearing on the 18th of December, they left everybody, uh, including the court, uh, um, with with a, a mindset of people will be paid for their attendance at meetings, uh, the shop stewards are entitled to be paid under agreements that we have and the company breached it. Uh, and uh, what they have said to us is each individual that is owed money needs to submit their um, claim and the company will deal with it very positively. So I'm not expecting that to be an issue going forward, but at the same time, uh, the company needs to you know, stand up and walk the walk with us uh, on both of these issues and, and confirm that they uh, will roll back the clock and make payments to shop stewards and reinstate workers that are uh, uh, currently terminated. OK, but at this stage, uh, there's no progress. Uh, would that be right? Uh, and you're hoping that there'll be progress uh, when you return to the WRC next week? Well, we'll be going to it in a very positive way. The court uh, has, has clearly mapped out that uh, we should go back there and come back to them if needed under normal circumstances where nobody will be bound to the outcome of what the court is saying. Uh, Each can accept or reject the outcome of them discussions. Again, it's not what we are looking for. If we can, the court is the last resort, the court of last resort. It's known as that. That's how it was set up. We're not looking to go back there. Not afraid to go back there if we have to go back. But at the same time, uh, we're hoping that we can negotiate because uh, conciliation is about uh, compromise. It's about no- negotiation, whereas the court will only get uh, one um, you know, feel for the what mm. has gone on and make decisions on it. And you've lost control of the situation mm. when you're in that, you know, when you're put into that um, situation. Uh, are people um, irate at this stage? I mean, it must have been a dreadful Christmas for each of the 650 people who have been laid off and those who were directly, uh, indirectly uh, employed by Tara Mines. Uh, but uh, for it to happen uh, under the ironic situa- situation, if you like, uh, where we full employment in the country, people with good jobs, great jobs, uh, who are, are sitting at home and the bills mounting up and uh, getting through the Christmas, hoping for some light at the end of the tunnel going into the new year. Uh, I take it people are upset at this stage, John. Oh, there's no doubt about it, Michael. Um, like, there's things that has happened where, uh, you know, their, their families, their children were heading for college um, and uh, the grants and supports that was there uh, for a long time, the workers weren't entitled to get that. I think we cracked it. I believe 
that Minister McEntee confirmed that they would uh, look at the applications differently and I hope that gives some uh, help to the workers. But yeah, look, there's no no good time to be laid off from a Mm. job, but to be laid off at Christmas Mm. is unbelievably uh, hard. It's unbelievably financially distressing and uh, these workers have, uh, you know, had to come through that and hopefully now we can start getting them back into getting an income and uh, again, the community is no different. Yep. There's businesses there hurting. Uh, the indirects that are affected by this are all, uh, you know, hurting. Mm. It's not just the direct employees. Um, you know, it's a huge employer for the uh, northeast. And uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to try and get this, um, you know, the doors open and getting people coming back in earlier rather than later. Indeed. Hopefully that is uh, the case. John, thank you for joining us uh, this morning. SIP2 sector organiser, John Regan. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Aware is a national organisation that provides support, education and information services for people who are impacted by depression and bipolar disorder. It's looking for volunteers. Perhaps that's you. Let's speak to Stephen McBride, Director of Services with Aware. Good morning to you, Stephen, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. You have some 400 volunteers as things stand, uh, but you're looking for more people to volunteer. Indeed, indeed. Thanks for the opportunity to speak, Michael, this morning about uh, our recent and current recruitment drive for volunteers to provide that support, these essential services to people out there who are experiencing depression and bipolar disorder right across the country. So we have a suite of support services from our support group services, our support line services and an online education program that we're recruiting volunteers for. Full training is provided to all volunteers that come along. And if you're in a position now at the start of the year where you have a passion for mental health and think about uh, a time now of transition in your life perhaps, or that you have a desire to take on a new challenge, that why not come forward to volunteer with us at AWARE? Okay, you say you'll train people in to do this work, uh, but do you not need some qualification? I mean, it sounds very complicated that you're trying to help people through depression or bipolar, as uh, the case may be. Uh, Do you not need some qualification to do that? Sometimes people come forward to volunteer with us, Michael, who have a qualification, who have an interest in mental health and may be pursuing a career in that regard. And we do welcome uh, volunteers coming forward from that uh, pathway. But also people who have a lived experience, who have worked through their own experience of a mental health difficulty or challenge, are ideally suited to provide that support and information to people who are currently experiencing depression or anxiety. So we accept volunteer applications from all walks of life and none you know and for people Mm. uh, over the age of 21 years and we have volunteers uh, working with us now right up into their 80s you know so as I said we accept people to come forward to volunteer with us from all walks of life whether you have an interest in in mental health in terms of a career development or etc etc yeah well maybe it's uh, the right time to be asking people to volunteer because uh, there's a lot of talk about New Year's resolutions and a lot of people are saying instead of giving something up maybe start doing something Uh, but if if people wanted to volunteer to work with uh, AWARE what's involved how much time would you need to be giving so the full on, uh, onboarding training or the induction training takes about 20 hours over a period of five or six weeks. 
So that training period is uh, to give people the initial training and wherewithal to carry out the role of a volunteer. And then after that, we, with regular and routine breaks, for it to afford people the time to look after themselves and we're very conscious that people lead busy lives that we ask for a commitment of three hours per week for a volunteer with regular okay. and routine breaks mm. uh, built into that uh, commitment. Right, uh, and that's not a, an awful lot of time. I think a lot of people would be interested in doing something for three hours a week and if this suited them, this could be uh, ideal. Uh, what would they be doing? So really, I suppose what they do is, and this is where it comes back to the idea of providing support for people with mental health difficulties, is the training. The fundamental aspect of our training, Michael, is to train people uh, around the listening skills and the compassionate uh, skills that we require to uh, provide that support and information to people who are experiencing depression. So we train people about how to actively listen and how to provide that support and so that people can develop a bit of a, a, a knowledge of themselves about what might help. These are the people who are calling the support line or the people who are attending our support groups. So the training uh, takes place over, as I say, six weeks. And really the fundamental aspect of that training is to teach people how to listen actively and supportively to people so that they feel heard and understood. Because as aware, we fundamentally believe that if a person feels understood, uh, that they will feel supported in their life and that that may be the, the change or that might make, give people the momentum mm. to make change in their lives. OK, and for people listening to us now, Stephen, in, in counties Louth and Meath, would they have to travel if uh, they were to volunteer? Not, not at all, Michael. You know, so for our because of the, the COVID nineteen pandemic some years ago now, I suppose uh, we have the opportunity for um, you know volunteering from the comfort of a person's own home. So we uh, have the technological capacity to, for people to volunteer on a support line from their home. Uh, you know, so that's no problem for people listening in from Loud and Mead, and also that we provide our support groups and that online education programme online as well too. So there's a variety of options for people from uh, Loud and me to come forward to volunteer with us without having to travel into Dublin, which is where our head office is. Okay, very good. Well, it's a fabulous organisation. The services are invaluable uh, and I'm sure there's people listening who will be interested. I hope that's the case anyway. Stephen, thank you indeed for joining us. Aware.ie is the website or contact the radio station for more details. Stephen McBride is uh, the Director of Services with Aware. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.